Well, let's get to it. Matthew chapter seven is where we are. If you missed Sunday, we finished up chapter six uh, this last Sunday. Thank, thank Mosey and through Matthew. Matthew chapter seven. In chapter five, we saw the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, not the do attitudes, the be attitudes, attitudes which we are to be. And then in chapter six, we saw righteousness we can practice, things that we're to do, uh, practical things. Um, and by the way, chapter six has very much to do with um, our relationship with God. Uh, and that's chapter six. But chapter seven uh, deals with things that have to do with our relationship uh, with each other and how we're to treat each other and think about each other. So that's kind of an important deal as well. So, uh, you know, let's take a look. Matthew chapter seven, verse one. There Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Jesus turns to the topic of others uh, and not judging others. Sadly, I have to say, this passage is one of the most misunderstood and perhaps even misapplied, misrepresented teachings in the scripture by believers and non-believers alike. Like it's an amazing thing how people will use um, this, this phrase, judge not, and they'll just kind of stop there, judge not. Um, but they might even, if they know their holy, the good book, you know, as I mentioned on Sunday, they might say, judge not lest you be judged. In other words, uh, all judgment is off the table. And the Bible says, Jesus says, you should never judge. And it's unfortunate because in the sense, you gotta kind of read the whole thing. One of the big mistakes that people make, and I know this sounds elementary, but especially for you Wednesday nighters, you know, is um, taking, you know, scripture and then sort of not reading the whole context can always be a big pitfall of misinterpretation and, and misunderstanding about the scripture. Um, and, and so people talk about this, don't judge, you know, and it became a thing, don't judge. And it's like, you could be murdering somebody, hey, don't judge. Uh, it's like, that's, that's where we are today. That's what people say. Well, the Bible says don't judge. So I can rob a bank, I can, you know, do meth, I can, uh, I can you know, uh, murder people. Uh, obviously, that is not true. Um, and remember, everything you read in the Bible, you gotta figure out how does it fit with the rest of the Bible. That's such a key. When you read the Bible, you have to say, well, what is Jesus saying here? Um, and how does it fit with what the rest of the Bible says? And you say, well, what if, what if Jesus' words contradict the rest of the Bible? It's impossible. If you're thinking that that just happened, then you're wrong. That's kind of the way you have to think about it. Um, you know, some people say, well, well, Jesus said, judge not, but then Paul will say, judge. So which one is it, judge or don't judge? And it's a false dilemma. That's a false dilemma, what we call in elementary logic and philosophy. You have to be careful not to create these false dilemmas. Jesus said, don't judge, so Paul said, judge, so one, one of them's wrong. Well, that's just not really right. But um, we have to get to the heart of what Jesus is saying. All you have to do is keep reading. And it's pretty clear what he's saying. It's judge not lest you be judged. And we're gonna read, keep reading and it's gonna you know, go on to say something to the extent, we'll see here in a minute, how you're not supposed to judge because the same way you're judging people is the way you're gonna be judged. So be careful with that. Uh, it's kind of a funny thing um, in, uh, in his book, Illustrations of Biblical Truth, H.A. Ironside, a, a preacher from a previous generation, great guy. He pointed out the folly of judging others. He related the incident of a, of a life 
of a man called Bishop Potter. And Bishop Potter was uh, sailing toward Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners back in the day. Um, when he found the other pastor, the passenger that he was supposed to share the cabin with, because you know, you couldn't just afford a whole cabin to yourself, so you sometimes you had to share. But this uh, Bishop Potter found that the guy was a little sketchy, or so it seemed. And he thought, oh man, I don't know about this. So he took his, uh, his prize belongings and uh, went to the purser's de desk there and inquired if he could have, leave his gold watch and a few of his other valuables uh, there in the, in the ship's safe. Um, and he explained that ordinarily the purser said, we'd never let people do this. Um, and, you know, but, but uh, you know, judging from this guy's appearance, he thought he better tuck it away in the safe. Well, the purser said, normally we don't do this, but um, it's all right, it's, very, it's okay, I'll take care of him. The other man has been up here already for the same reason. <laughs> uh, isn't that funny? They were both, you know, sizing each other up. Is this person a dishonest ripoff artist? Um, well, all that to say, you know, it's a funny thing. When we, uh, let me move this microphone because I, I like to see all you guys and it gets a little weird sometimes uh, looking through this. So um, so um, one of the things that uh, uh, I remember growing up is in Southern Oregon with, um, with uh, this guy that used to ride around Medford in an old rickety bicycle. And it was pretty funny because um, he, he was, uh, you know, we, everybody kind of knew him as Jack. But the funniest part of it was, nobody really knew who it was except for me, because my dad actually worked for him. It was a really funny deal. They thought he was like a homeless guy on this rickety old bicycle riding around Medford, but he actually owned one of the biggest construction companies in Southern Oregon, and his name was Jack, and, uh, and he just, for whatever reason, rode a rickety bike around. Uh, it was hilarious, uh, and uh, people misjudged him all the time. It's funny how, you know, the old thing, don't judge a book by its cover, that's just human nature. Uh, but as it turns out, we should be really careful. And Jesus is gonna talk about uh, this certain kind of judging that is not to be done. Um, it's not just in general judging. And, and a closer look you know, at this passage, the real issue that Jesus is addressing is don't judge others and you will not be judged for, you know, you'll be treated like the same way that you end up treating other people. That's the, that's the, the, the key. Uh, the standard you use to judge is the standard by which you will be judged. And this is what Jesus is gonna teach us here. Um, by the way, if we really believe this, would it change the way we treat each other? If you treat, you know, judge people in the way that you hope to be judged, how would you treat your wife differently? Uh, how would you treat your husband differently? If you really said, okay, I want him to judge me the same way I'm judging him right this minute. That's like a real key. That's what Jesus is talking about precisely. Um, and so that's, you know, how would you like it if your husband, you know, judged you uh, the same way you're judging him or vice versa? Or your employees or employer, uh, you're supposed to be careful about this. And this is what Jesus is talking about. But we have this pro propensity and, and it's not just uh, in Christian circles, it's all over. But as Christians, Jesus is, is basically telling us to watch out for being, you know, what we might call sin sniffer looking for faults and oh, look at that person and sin or fault finder or transgression tracker. Maybe you're an iniquity inquisitor. Are you a sin sleuth? Some of you are good at that stuff, man. Just finding fault and, and sin sniffing. Don't be that person. Don't be sniffing around and finding each other's sin. That's part of what Jesus is saying. Um, but as I said, some people take this and say, well, hey, don't judge me. Uh, in other words, I can do whatever I want. Um, and don't judge. 
Um, it's funny because I hear not only people in general, but I've heard pastors say stuff like this. You know, don't criticize me or don't judge me or, or don't do this or don't do that. When, when really the question is, is, um, is, is there good fruit from what you're doing? Um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna find out that there's actually um, some stuff here about this word judge that we need to kind of boil down. By the word, the Greek word for judge in this context, in this set, is an interesting word. It just means, uh, it's, it's a word that means to judge unto condemnation or to pass judgment on. Um, the word is krino. It can mean other parts of judgment in a good sense, but mostly used in this negative sense uh, of the idea of judging and what have you. Um, so it's, a, it's an important part of our, you know, what we, what we have to kind of break down here. So judging to condemnation is kind of the problem here. Crino. Um, some, some judge people in the church, you know, like, wow, he's smoking cigarettes. Surely he's going to hell. Why? Because he's smoking the devil sticks. Um, but actually, as it turns out, you might say, well, well, Pastor Brett, you know, that is kind of a problem. Smoking cigarettes is bad. Um, now, that's a judgment that we can all make. We know that. Scientifically, smoking cigarettes is bad for your health. Um, but, but to be judging a person in the church because of their smoking cigarettes, saying that they're gonna go to hell, that's what Jesus is talking about there. Judging to condemnation, um, and, which, is, uh, which is not what we're supposed to do. Um, we can judge the situation. We'll, we'll get into that more. By the way, speaking of smoking cigarettes, uh, old J. Vernon McGee, you know, he's the through the Bible guy. Um, it used to be a day when there was a lot of Bible teachers went verse by verse through the Bible, back like when J. Vernon was doing it. But um, I love the story old J. Vernon McGee told. Um, he, he was preaching in Texas for a while. Um, and it was funny because there, the church, everyone in the church, after the service was over, they'd go out and stand on the church porch and just light up and just smoke. And, and everybody did it. And nobody thought twice about it. Um, but the one thing you couldn't do, the most unpardonable sin back in those days in Texas, mixed bathing. That is, if girls were in their swimsuits and men were in their swim trunks and they were swimming in the same pool or at the same beach, you've just lost your salvation. Like that, is the, that was the unpardonable sin of Texas. Well, well then Jay Vernon moved from Texas to Southern California. <laughs> And he said, smoking became the unpardonable sin and mixed bathing, like uh, the little bikinis in Southern California were no problem at all. And everybody was just out there, you know, surfs up, beach boys and all that stuff. Um, and he said, it's funny how the church had very different views of what was right, what was the thing you're gonna burn in hell for. And it was really a judgy kind of thing. What we have to do is talk about the things that are in the Bible and be careful about the things that are not in the Bible. Um, and so you, you gotta be careful about this. Let's go to the cigarette thing, because it's kind of funny now. I mean, we, we, most of us know, yeah, cigarette smoking is bad for you, but some of you, if you were like me, I was kind of raised, not really my parents teaching me this, but this was the, the thing in the church. If you smoke cigarettes, you probably weren't a Christian. Like, that's kind of the way we all thought of it back in the old days. Um, and that's just kind of the way it goes, you know, if you were in those days. Nowadays, we kind of know, well, it's bad, but how bad is a cigarette? Well, is it as bad as a double quarter pounder? Well, will a double quarter pounder hurt your temple? I was like, oh, your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. Well, the quarter pounder is just as bad for you as a cigarette. If you have the same amount of them, you'll probably die faster from the quarter pounder. Um, and I gotta confess, I, I had to kind of think through that as I got older and realized, yeah, man, uh, knock yourself out. Uh, smoke, smoke, smoke your, to your heart's content. Um, <laughs> or, or else, because, you know, it's the truth. People could judge me just as much as they judge the cigarette smoker person. 
And, and it's funny because the Bible does kind of level this out. But what you have to understand is there is, in fact, uh, a right thing for us to, to, to discern what's good and what's evil. Um, and by the way, you know, you, you could probably talk about what was associated with smoking cigarettes versus what was associated with eating a quarter pounder. Um, back in the 50s, 60s, what, what were you doing? If you were in a group of people smoking cigarettes uh, versus a guy that's just sitting at McDonald's eating a burger. So there are associations that we kind of have to wonder about, you know. Um, are you in a car club uh, smoking and knocking people over the head with a wrench uh, and being cool? Because it was the car club days of the 50s and 60s. Um, but I don't know, are there people killing each other in hamburger joints? I don't know, maybe now, but, uh, but anyway, the, the key is to, to understand types of judgment. And here's the two that we're gonna see in this single chapter. Because I'm gonna argue that Jesus is gonna say in chapter seven, both judge and don't judge. He's gonna say both things. Is he contradictory? Of course not, Jesus doesn't contradict himself. But he's gonna speak of judging to condemnation. And then number two, he's gonna talk about judging for identification. And, uh, and that's gonna be later on in the chapter and I'll show you what that is. In fact, let's look forward to, the, to verse 16. Um, or verse 15, he'll say, beware of false prophets which has come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Um, so he's talking about these wolves in the church that you're supposed to know by their fruits. So you're supposed to do what? Be fruit inspectors. You gotta inspect and say, is this good fruit or is this bad fruit? That's judging, wouldn't you agree? That's judging, it is judging. And there's a different word for that, by the way. Uh, but um, we'll talk about that in a second. So, so this, this idea of judging, the Bible does say we're supposed to judge. Um, it's just not judging to condemnation. That's the no, don't do that. When Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, that's don't judge people to condemnation. You can judge people and you should judge people to identification. There's a million other scriptures, by the way, that tell you that. Uh, let me just give you a few. Romans 16, 17. Uh, this is Paul talking to the Romans. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. Would you, would you mark that, uh, that word, mark them? Uh, if you look up the Greek word there, it's the same kind of thing as judge, but it, it, it does, it means to identify them and sort of set them aside, pull them out as something that's off. So he says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, that's the teaching, which you have learned and avoid them. Isn't that interesting? So, so you're supposed to mark people that are div divisive, causing trouble with good solid doctrine, uh, you know, people, and avoid them. People say, Brett, you shouldn't be talking about Bethel. And I mentioned them again last week, and so I got letters and email, and people get all freaked out. But the, this is what the Bible says. If there's teaching a doctrine that's contrary to what the Bible teaches, you gotta kind of call that stuff out and mark them. And I think you should avoid them. Uh, because that's what the Bible says. Um, Romans 16, 17. Uh, some people say, well, you're just being judgmental. Uh, and I would say, I am. But not to condemnation, but for identification to say, we gotta mark these as people that you kinda need to avoid. Their teaching sounds nice and it lures people in all the time, but it's just kind of off. Um, by the way, the next scripture I'll give you, and like I said, there's many of them, but this is 1 Corinthians 2.15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. You know, the spiritual person is above reproach is the idea that the Bible teaches where you're not doing a bunch of stuff where people go, man, look at your life, man. You got all kinds of issues and problems. Um, 
But the spiritual one judges all things. Now, now this, this is a great word. The word judge here is not the same word Jesus used, but it's related. Um, this is the word anakrino. Remember the word krino was the first word, word we're using? This is anakrino, which means to study thoroughly, seek to learn the truth by the process of careful study, evaluate carefully, examine. So this is, this is the word used in 1 Corinthians 2.15 when it says, um, he that is spiritual will judge all things. Study thoroughly, learn to see if it's good or bad. Evaluate, carefully examine. So when people come up and sanctimoniously tell you, don't judge, you have to check your heart first and say, am I judging to condemnation? Am I being judgy, judgmental in a negative sense? Or am I being careful in this anacrino, studying to see, is this right or wrong, good or bad? See, this whole don't judge thing has only got us further down the road of saying uh, it's all relative, uh, you know, and, and what's, what's good to you is not good to me. What's bad to me is not bad to you. And, and there's this kind of relativism that's crept into even the churches. And so now we find ourselves, like the Bible talks about in the last days, they'll, they'll be like the days of the judges, you know, when they'll call good evil and evil good, and they'll do that which is right in their own sight. Um, that's relativism, and that's what's happening all over the place. Um, and sadly, churches are uh, buying this stuff, hook, line, and sinker, sad to say. But, but um, I love this, you know, um, we're, we're, we're really given clear scriptures of what to do, and there's times to judge. In fact, Hebrews chapter five, verses 13 and 14. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby, but strong meat belongs to them that are full of full age, even those, now, now this is where it gets interesting, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The person who's well studied in the scripture, you know, you, you, you know the, the, the author of Hebrews there is saying, don't just be a baby in the, in the things of the word. You know, like um, some churches never leave the gospel and don't teach doctrine. And they'll talk about the warm fuzzy stuff and you know, grace and victory and all this stuff, but they won't get into the stuff about the meat. Um, we've become vegetarians as Christians when the Bible says a big steak is what we need. I like the analogy. Uh, I'm, I'm on board with this illustration. Uh, <laughs> but, but all that to say, uh, you know, by reason of use, that's, that's you know, exercising your, your understanding of, of an ability to discern. You might even say the word judge, discernment is sort of judging, but it's in this uh, good sense of judging to know what's good and what's evil. And the Lord says, I'll do that. Um, you know, there are times where you and I as believers need to mark, that's the word we saw, judge and even discern both good and evil. W when do we do that? Well, there's all kinds of illustrations of timing when you should exercise your discernment. Now, now there's a lot of times where people don't. Um, but uh, as a church, we, we really have to be careful in this. And, and one of those is like, let me just give you a, a, a very easy one. Um, at Athey Creek, some people think we're overreaching uh, on some of this, but we wanna watch out for predatory behavior. That's one of the things Athey Creek has, we've spent a lot of energy, effort, time with the staff and our children and youth ministry and all that. We've spent the last couple of years uh, just, just learning what predatory behavior looks like. And uh, with, uh, you know, the, the bigger the church, oftentimes you see these things and you hear about this stuff all the time. And so we've spent a lot of time saying we need to be able to spot predatory behavior in, in you know, sexual predators or other kinds of predators that are around churches. 
And we don't really allow that kind of behavior. If we see it, you know, the staff knows if you see something, you gotta say something. Um, that's, that's what we teach. And we talk about that all the time. Uh, because, it, you know, in our, in our hearts and minds, we want 8th Greek to be the safest church you can go to uh, without having to worry about that. Now, I'm just gonna say there's evil everywhere. People creep in and predators, they look for the biggest church they can find with probably the worst program of, of knowing how to spot predators. And they do that all the time. If you, if you, you talk to, we had the lady a couple years back from Clackamas County who was the specialist on the sheriff's, you know, um, predator watch sexual abuse thing. and. And it's heartbreaking to hear, you know, how many they don't catch. Uh, the percentages are shocking, uh, what's going on. And, and she talked about how we, we have no idea how bad it's gonna get because of the rampant use of pornography at the earlier ages now. And it, it's just, these are dangerous days. And so, you know, if there's behaviors that we see, we're gonna, we're gonna discern and we're gonna mark them and we're gonna say, sorry, you gotta change your behavior and we're gonna kind of keep an eye on you. Because by the way, that's what those scriptures said. You know, Romans says, mark them which cause division or offenses contrary to the doctrine. Uh, First Corinthians says, but he that is spiritual judges all things. Um, you see, the Bible tells us that we are to identify and mark, judge and discern both good and evil. Um, and not only predatory stuff, but doctrinal things, wrong teaching that's out there. You know, I, I don't like this part. Uh, it's funny because um, some people think, Brett, you're so brave, you talk about this and that. And I don't think of myself as that. I just think, um, you know, it's, it's almost more, it, I, I'll just confess, I, I'm not the guy that wants to go around marking doctrine and saying, I never pictured myself being that pastor that's going around saying, hey, that doctor over there is wrong. This guy's teaching that, that guy's teaching that. That's totally not who I am. But as a Bible teacher and a student of the word of God, it's like I keep stumbling into this stuff where I, I have to say something because this is just ac actually wacko teaching, it's wrong. So it's almost more of a reluctant, but more out of obedience, just saying, man, when you hear this teaching over here about that, it's just off from what the Bible says. So doctrinally wrong teaching needs to be discerned, judged, and spoken of. And that's, uh, the Bible even says a good pastor is gonna do that. The bad pastors just let the, the sheep go off to the wolves and don't say a thing. So, you know, it's kind of a tricky thing um, sometimes as a church pastor or in your situation for you, there's times where you need to judge. You parents, when you're, that guy comes walking in for the first date with your daughter, time to judge. <laughs> is this guy good or evil? Uh, is this someone who can take my daughter out? Yes or no? Uh, don't judge, the guy can say to you. Um, uh, but you'll say, I will discern uh, whether you are good, because this is my daughter you're taking out. Uh, so it's so funny when people say, don't judge, you know, um, don't judge, Mar marijuana is just an herb of the Lord. I always say, so is poison oak. <laughs> um, but there's a good thing and a bad thing, and you don't want to do that. By the way, you know, back, remember, remember back in the old days when marijuana used to be illegal? Now, some of you are like, yeah, I'm so glad it's legal now. Um, hope, hope that's not Ethy Creekers. Uh, oh, don't judge me, Pastor Brett. Uh, it's just an Arab of the Lord. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because I had friends in high school who smoked weed, and I knew it, and, I, and you could kind of see it, but it's, it's sad. I mean, how many of you guys have old friends that have been smoking weed for a long time and like, Marijuana has been proven scientifically to not slow down one's cognitive skills. <laughs> like I've heard, the, I've actually heard a friend of mine say that. 
probably slower than what I just did. <laughs> and it's kind of sad. Um, you know, the National Institute of Drug uh, Abuse, they did an article a few months ago, uh, long-term marijuana use is associated with health problems later in life. Duh. <laughs> this came out February 8th of 2018, actually. But um, the interesting thing about this article is the participants use patterns influence their risk of self-reported health problems later in life compared to the non-use of drugs. Um, all the patterns, use patterns, were associated with more recent psychological visits, a lifetime of psychiatric problems at the age of 50. If you've been smoking weed a lot of your life, there's uh, almost guaranteed psychiatric trouble. Um, according to the study, most of, uh, of the use patterns were associated with higher prevalence of a lifetime drug problem, not just marijuana. As it turns out, Oregon, marijuana is a gateway drug. Law enforcement has been saying that forever. Uh, science has been saying that forever, but they were, oh, it's not a gateway drug. It's not addicting. It's not this or not, not that. But also this article says persistent use patterns were associated with more cognitive difficulties, uh, physical illness and lifetime of alcohol problems at the age of 50 and above. So there's a price to pay, you know? And so when people say, um, you shouldn't be smoking weed and somebody says, well, don't judge me. It's just an herb of the Lord. You can, you can use information to identify what's actually happening. And I think it's, it's on us. Uh, by the way, we, the state of Oregon, we, we are the, the litmus test. We are the ones testing all this because we were one of the first states that you know, legalized marijuana, but we were the first state that basically opened it all up. Uh, the Daily Mail, which is a United Kingdom from Britain, they're, they're across the pond and they're talking about Portland. This was June 16th, 2022. Portland resembles an open air drug market after decriminalizing hard drugs. Overdose deaths skyrocket by 41% in the city as homeless addicts collapse on sidewalks. I was talking to one of our police officers and, he, and we were talking about, you know, and he's, had, he's been involved in tough things, you know, and shootings and crimes and seeing stuff. He said, one of the worst things they're finding is all these people that are dead in their tents or dead in their house. And sometimes they'll, they'll be called and the neighbors say, we haven't seen you know, so-and-so out of their house for you know, a few months. We're just kind of wondering if they're okay. And they go in and realize the person's been dead on their couch for six months or four months or whatever. And talk about a horror story, a horror scene. Our police officers have to see this stuff and deal with this stuff. And, and, um, and, and yet here we are just pumping everybody saying fentanyl, you know, knock yourself out in Oregon and Portland, we're passing out the syringes, you know, to help them uh, make sure they do their drugs cleanly. Um, meanwhile, 41% death skyrocket. skyrocket. Should, shouldn't somebody be saying, uh, wait a minute, 41% increase in death? Maybe that wasn't a great idea. You know, maybe we should put it up on the ballot again or something like that and say, Let, let's reevaluate. Uh, of course, I'm a little afraid what Oregon might do with a ballot, uh, who knows. But law enforcement agents say that the streets of Portland are full of homeless addicts openly buy and, uh, buying and selling hard drugs. Um, the photos, uh, uh, you, you know, there's, there's in, the social media sites showing photos of how Portland's just totally wiped out. It's a dreadful scene and it's become uh, horrible. Now there, there are some efforts to clean up Portland. I just worry that they're, they're only putting a Band-Aid on a broken arm right now. Uh, we, we're a mess. Um, but all that to say, um, now, now, now somebody might say, well, Brett, can you smoke pot and still go to heaven? Well, I would ask this question, can you eat a quarter pounder and still go to heaven? 
Um, both are bad for you. Um, uh, you see, that's the thing we, we forget. You know, everybody sins, smoking weed, lying, having a bad attitude, murder, um, thinking ill of someone unfairly. That's all sin and it's worthy of death. So we have to remember, you know, just because you smoke pot doesn't mean you don't get to go to heaven. Uh, you're like, oh, sweet man, I'm gonna smoke more weed then. Um, <laughs> well, you, you know, uh, you can still lie, you can still murder and all that, but here's the problem. There's repercussions of sin. There's sin that's gonna hurt you, mess you up. That's what we forget. You know, um, it, why is it bad? Because you're gonna go to hell? No, it's bad because it makes your brain not work well. And you won't be able to serve the Lord well with a brain that's cognitively slowed to the level of a turtle. Uh, you don't want that. Um, and uh, same thing with quarter pounders. There's, thing, there's, there's problems with that, of course, that I'm well aware of. Um, but you know, the, the question is, uh, we have to remember sin is not bad because it's forbidden. What? It's forbidden because it's bad. Sin messes us up and it hurts us. So it's not that we're judging people to say, we just think you're an idiot and we're judging you. No, there, there's, this, um, there's a right kind of judging that is to judge to identify what's really going on and how we can ultimately help someone and, and improve their life. Um, but there is a bad judgment where you're just judging to condemnation uh, and we can't do that. So um, by the way, on this whole drugs and alcohol thing, it's, you know, Paul says, all things are lawful to me, but not everything's expedient or profitable to me. Um, and so like the Proverbs, when Solomon, who knew about wine, women in song and all that stuff, you know, it's interesting because in Proverbs 31, we're reminded it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Um, you know, there's things that pervert your judgment. Marijuana is one of them. Um, I feel like I make better decisions after eating a quarter pounder. I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> just saying uh, that's... Uh, that's just probably me being biased toward my uh, weaknesses. But back to judgment. If you're judging people to condemnation, then you're doing what Jesus said no on. Don't do that. Um, but we are to be fruit inspectors and to judge those kinds of things about what a person is doing. Uh, by the way, 1 Corinthians 5, jot this down in your notes. Uh, chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. But now I've written unto you um, not to keep company. If, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an adulterer or railer or drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, um, uh, know not to eat for what have I to do with, do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person." Now, this is an interesting thing I had to bring up on this idea of judging because Paul talks to the Corinthian church and the Corinthians had all kinds of things to be judged about. They had a guy in the church that was sleeping with his stepmom uh, and the church was like, look how free and full of liberty we are. And Paul says, that guy, he's a problem and he needs to be delivered unto Satan. We'll talk about that in a second. Don't be so judgmental, Paul. No, he judged that guy. In the same way, it says here, if a brother that is a Christian in the church is a fornicator doing all kinds of sexual immorality or covetous, Chip and Joanna. I'm just, just not, they're not that, but you know, if you're, if you're uh, wishing you had more uh, shiplap or better house or something, if you're covetous, oh, I wish I had that house or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such of those people, don't even go to dinner with them, don't eat with them. Is, 
Isn't that funny? What if, what if we did that as a church? With people that are just constantly practicing fornication, um, sexual immorality. Remember what the definition of fornication is? Sexual immorality, anything that's outside of the marriage bed is, that's sexual is called fornication. So with those people, you're supposed to say, you know what, we're not even gonna eat with them. Now you say, well, Brett, uh, then we can't eat with a lot of people because they're sexual immorality. But the idea is just continually practicing these kinds of things. There's a difference between someone who's practicing versus someone who's stumbling and, and wrestling with sin. Uh, join the crowd, that's all of us. We all wrestle with sin, don't we? But when there's somebody who's just saying, you know what, I'm just gonna practice the sin and keep doing it and forget you and don't judge me. Well, then the Bible says you're not supposed to have anything to do with them. Now, the people that are without the church, outside of the church, that's a different deal. They're not even saved yet. This is where I always kind of jokingly say, you, you don't wanna try to clean the fish before you catch the fish. A person needs to be saved before you can expect them to change their behavior. So, you know, identifying those that are continually practicing sin in the church, people say, don't judge. Well, there is a certain uh, level of identification when a person is doing these things. We're supposed to separate ourselves from out of those people. Well, Jesus hung out with sinners, Pastor Brett. Yeah, but did you ever notice when you read those stories, those sinners stopped sinning? They all were being changed. Um, Jesus didn't just hang out with the prostitutes that just kept prostituting. Um, he didn't hang out with the tax collectors that just kept ripping people off. Those people's lives were changed. I, I like to put it this way. Jesus was the hammer, they were the nail. And you have to say, if you're gonna hang out with sinners, great. We should all be doing that. But the thing is, you gotta be the hammer, not the nail. The, which one's influencing the other? Because if you go into the bar and start drinking and saying things you shouldn't and <clears throat> doing stuff, oh, I'm just here to be a witness. I'm just here at the bar just to, to sh let my light shine before all men. Um, but you're there and you're getting kind of caught up in their own sins. <clears throat> you're the nail, you're not the hammer. And uh, very few are called to that kind of ministry, by the way. Um, but, uh, but Jesus was able to go into a room of sinners and they all would repent and change their lifestyle. And that's what we would hope for the church. And that's what Athey Creek is full of. We've got a lot of people in this church that were fornicators and idolaters and, and uh, we have prostitutes and drunkards and we have a lot of people that were sinful, you know, evil people. But the people that are here are saying, yeah, but we don't wanna keep being that way. And if somebody came and said, Pastor Brad, I, I, I like Athey Creek, I like going through the Bible, but I still wanna rob banks. I really like robbing banks. That's just kind of what I do. Uh, so uh, just deal with that. Uh, well, I couldn't do that because that's a, what I call the bragging backslider. The person who's doing stuff openly, blatantly, this is what we're supposed to do, judge them. You judge them in the, not the, uh, to condemnation, but to identification. And by the way, when a person is in the church sinning, there's a lot of different ways to handle it. If you're a pastor in the church and you're on the staff or as a pastor or, or a leadership elder pastor, um, there's a higher standard that's asked. In fact, if that pastor or elder gets caught up in sin, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 5 says, you're supposed to identify that in front of all the church. Uh, and, and why? That others may fear. Um, there should be a healthy fear. I, I worry that the church of Jesus Christ, you hear about all these moral failures and stuff that's going on in these churches where there's failure after failure. And, and, and it seems like the world is becoming more and more critical and jaded, rightly so, because there's just this unchecked thing where pastors just get away with stuff and they shouldn't. 
Um, you know, there, there's, 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 you know, there's a thing that happened a few years ago here at Athey. It was probably one of those painful Wednesday nights I've had to deal with where we had a pastor that was, did something and I had to openly in front of the whole group say, here's what happened, here's what he did, no longer with us. And we had to do this. It was, it was horrible, but it's what the Bible says you're supposed to do. I had people say, Brett, you should have done that, identifying him in front of the whole church. I'm like, I didn't want to. Last thing in the world I wanted to do. But as it turns out, the Bible says this is what's supposed to happen. He'd been on staff for like three months and uh, it was just a tough deal. But all that to say, um, again, I think with, with pastors, when there's sin, there's gotta be a different deal. When there's a person in the church, some of you are like, Brett, Brett I hope Brett never finds out my sins. He might announce it on a Wednesday night. <laughs> well, that, I actually had one guy come up and say, Brett, are you gonna announce my sin in front of the church like you did the pastor? I'm like, no. Uh, it's different when you're a pastor. You're held to a different standard. At least you should be. Um, but as it turns out, there are sins that, that um, need to be identified and then we need to try to help. And, and, and if there's a, a, a sinful person that just keeps sinning, then sometimes you gotta let them go. You gotta say, you're out. Uh, you're not part of the church anymore. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus um, and he knew, he, you know, he, Jesus knew exactly what this guy's problem was. He was wealthy and he, he was, you know, covetous and want, wouldn't get rid of his stuff. So when he said, what do I need to do? Jesus told him. And when the guy wasn't willing to do what Jesus said, he walked away and Jesus didn't hang out with him anymore. Like that's the thing that I'm pointing out that when you're dealing with sin, the goal is to see repentance and, and transformation, not that we're all perfect or even close, but at least we're moving in that direction. The rich young ruler was unwilling to do what Jesus told him to do, so Jesus just let him go. And that's sometimes what we have to do, sadly. It's hard, but it's, it's uh, how would the church look if we really believed um, you know, uh, this about um, you know, hanging out with the idolater or the fornicator? Should we be hanging out with a young couple that's living together, not having a marital relationship, but sex outside of marriage? Read the, the Bible. Um, there's a point where you have to say, when that couple just says, no, we're gonna keep doing it. Uh, some of you might even be here tonight saying, Brett, are you talking about me? We're living together. Hey, come on, everybody does it. Doesn't matter. Bible calls that sexual immorality. Well, you're just being judgmental. Nope, it's what the Bible says. Um, if you're calling yourself a Christian. Now, if you're a worldling and you're an un unbeliever and you're living together, I, I don't blame you, why not? Nobody has a spiritual reason. Why, why not just live with someone until you get tired of them and then dump them? The reason we don't do that as Christians is because God says marriage is more important than that. And before God's eyes, marriage is set apart. And as Christians, we have a whole different rule set. So that's kind of the thing. Um, all that to say, Jesus is, is starting to spell all this out for us. So judge not that you be not judged. That's that negative judging to condemnation. But even as he brings up the next verse in verse three, we're gonna see that there is actually a purpose for judging. Check it out in verse three. It says, and why beholdest thou the mote? Um, notice the word mote there before we read on. Um, the word mote in the Greek there is karphos, which means a speck of sawdust or as some of your newer translations uh, put it, a splinter, a uh, chip of particle of wood. You know, like when you've been using your, your uh, skill saw and you're like cutting and all of a sudden a little piece of sawdust flies in your eye. Uh, you know, of course, all of you, I'm sure you're wearing your safety glasses. Um, <laughs> when I was a kid, we didn't believe in safety glasses. Um, but, uh, but all that to say, that's kind of the idea of Jesus as a carpenter, probably knew what this was like having, you know, sawdust in your eye. 
But um, he says, um, why beholdest the sawdust or splinter mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye? Um, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Do you think when Jesus was teaching this there on the Sea of Galilee hillside there, do you think people were laughing? See, I, I, I'm convinced, you know, if you see the, a lot of the movie versions, a lot of them, you know, so the, the hippie Jesus that looks like he's been smoking weed and he's really skinny, vegetarian kind of looking guy. And he's just kind of walking around and when he looks at you, you're like, eh, that's scary. Um, I don't believe that was Jesus. The Bible says he was anointed with the oil of gladness. There was a happiness about him. And there was a joyfulness about him. He was, yes, the man of many sorrows too, um, but that's close to, closer related to when he was you know, going through the cross issue. But, but I, I just wonder, you know, uh, this, this could have been really funny. I, I, have a, I have a hunch that people were laughing when he said you know, this thing about the beam. Picture a beam in a person's eye. That's the problem. It's like you're walking around, boom, boom. And you say, let me get that speck out of your eye, boom. Like that's a hilarious uh, analogy. Uh, I think that's funny. Um, and, and Jesus is using humor here, I think. And, and you'll see it, it continues. He, he uses sort of exaggeratory things, hyperbole in his sermon here. To, and I think people probably were chuckling because uh, it's ridiculous when a person who has a beam in their eye is trying to get the speck of sawdust out of their brother's eye. Um, and, and so he says, first, get the beam out of your own eye. Then, not to, see some people read this and say, forget about the speck in your brother's eye, just deal with your beam. No. Deal with your beam, then you can help your brother after you've done that. Um, by the way, this is a problem when somebody, for example, um, has been sinful and wrong and they've done things that are bad and then they fix that. They repent, they confess, they get some help and encouragement and then they're walking in victory and then they try to help someone else who's, who's doing something bad and somebody say, well, you're a hypocrite because you did the same thing. Well, Jesus actually says, no, that's what you're supposed to do. First, you get the beam out of your own eye, deal with the problem, then you, you'll be able to help others get the speck out of their own eye. See, there's a, it's not that you're disqualified from helping people from that day forward because you once had a beam in your eye. Uh, be careful on this one. I see people make that mistake as well. Um, but so, you know, people are sometimes harder on others with the things that they struggle with themselves. By the way, you know, the, the, the funny thing is, that's why I told you the Greek word for moat, because the moat is, or speck, some of your Bibles I think say speck, but the reason I wanted you to see it as a splinter, it's the same substance as the beam, it's still wood. Um, that's what Jesus is saying. And I think that's kind of important um, because the, the, the very same things that we struggle with, those are oftentimes the people we're hardest on. Remember there in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when David heard the story about the little lamb that uh, Nathan the prophet told him and, and the guy killed the, the neighbors, they only one little pet lamb. The other guy, he had a whole herd, flock of sheep and, and all that. Um, but he kills the neighbor's pet little lamb to serve dinner to his guest. And David's in furious rage. He says, that man should surely die. And then Nathan says, you're the man. What? Well, he took another man's wife. David, as a king, could add millions of wives, whoever he wanted for a wife. Um, but the one guy, Uriah, had one wife, and David killed him and stole his wife. And Nathan says, you're that man. 
It's funny, I've noticed that when people are really mad about somebody else's sin, usually there's a link to their own sin. It's kind of a funny little thing uh, we have to watch out for, how mad we get. Uh, when I see my sin on you, I think, oh, that's gross. But my sin on me, eh, hey, it's not so bad. I wear it better than most people. Uh, that's just a lie from the devil. Um, uh, so it doesn't say just give up and don't help people when you found out you had a beam in your own eye, but the idea is to, to deal with your sin. And how do we deal with sin? Don't forget, Psalm 103, 12. Um, this is what the Lord does when you deal with your sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. So if you, if you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how you remove the beam as you make it right. You repent of your sin, confess it to the Lord and say, forgive me for that. Change your behavior. Don't, don't walk around with a beam in your eye anymore. And then you can help others with the splinter. How? How do you get the splinter out of, your, out of a person's eye? Anybody? Very carefully with tweezers. <laughs> Paper match, rip the back off and use the other side as a paintbrush. No, the same way you got your beam out of your eye is the same way you get the splinter out of someone else's eye. The splinter, as small as it might be, still repent, confess, give it to the Lord and he will forgive. Um, very important. Uh, it's so funny how we see other people and we're so judgmental and critical. I uh, heard the story of a woman who was at an airport and she had some time in the airport. So she went into the book, the little store there and bought some Oreos, a little, you know, those, those one lines of Oreos. And she sits down and she opens her book, and starts reading. Well, the, the guy sitting one chair over, he, uh, he reaches over, takes the box of Oreos and just opens it up and takes a cookie and eats it, sets it down and he starts reading. And she's like, what? Who does that guy think he is? You know, and she gets kind of mad. She grabs an Oreo and looks at him and, and eats it. And, uh, and he kind of looks at her and, and then he grabs another Oreo and eats it. And she, she can't believe it. This guy's eating her Oreos. And so she just kind of keeps eating it. And it finally gets down to this one last Oreo. And he looks at her and she looks at him and he grabs the last one splits it in half and puts the side with the icing on her side and eats the last top and walks away. Well, this lady, she's furious. She can't believe it. Well, finally her flight, it's time to leave. And so she reaches in to get her ticket into her purse and to her horror, she finds her freshly unopened box of Oreos. <laughs> Ooh. suddenly dawned on her that she really shouldn't judge people too harshly. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting. Will we even get to heaven and realize that the beam is in our eye? Even at times, you know, Paul realized that he had a beam in his eye when he said, I, Paul, am the chiefest of sinners. Um, you know, when Paul says that, he's, he's basically saying, I still wrestle with beams. Uh, so if you have beams in your eye, it's not that you have them that's the problem as much as what you do about it. Repent, confess, ask the Lord to help you, and he'll give you victory over those things. But if you're doing that while judging others, that's, that's only gonna cause yourself more trouble. Um, speaking of the, this idea of cleaning yourself first, I remember the psalmist, Psalm 51, verses 10 through 13, when, when David, uh, the same guy who was the one who murdered Uriah and had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, he said, clean, create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me and restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with the, thy free spirit. 
Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You know, we, we all know the first, you know, verses 10 through 12, but it's that 13th verse there that's interesting. When will he teach transgressors thy ways? After he's received a clean heart, renewed a right spirit, Holy Spirit's not taken, he's been restored with his joy. Um, that's when he can teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted. Um, just because you're a sinner doesn't disqualify you. It's if you're actively sinning, you're kind of disqualified. But once the Lord has done a work in your life, you can then help them get the moat out of someone else's or another beam or whatever the case may be. So that's kind of important. Now, not unrelated, he goes on in verse six. Let's read on. It says here in verse six, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Or the idea is, you know, hurt you, rip you off, mess you up. People wanna mess you up. Who are they? The dogs and the hogs. Now this is a tricky one because here in Portland and in our culture and in our age, the dog is the sweetest little thing you ever did see. And we all love our doggies. And, and so this is a hard one to even really relate to. Uh, some of you spend more money on your dogs than you do your children. Um, Portland, you know, we've got dog parks and dog restaurants. And, and so this, this, this illustration of Jesus, we've kind of we've ruined this because all you gotta do is travel to third world countries um, where dogs run for fear of their lives. Like when I was in Africa, Burkina Faso, you know, um, there'd be dogs around and the guys would say, whatever you do, don't, don't try to touch one of those um, because they're diseased, but they're also wild and they run for their lives. Like if you see a dog in Burkina, they do not look happy. They're running scared. You're like, oh, the poor little puppies. Yeah, it's really sad. But in most other cultures, dogs are just animals uh, that could be eaten for food. Um, and so they run scared. So, but you have to understand um, the dogs in many cultures is a negative thing. By the way, I have a pastor friend who was preaching years ago in Lebanon and he was somehow talking about this verse about the dogs and, and he was talking to this group of Lebanese soldiers. This was not far from the Beirut bombings. If you guys remember that back in the old days, but he was preaching the sermon and all these soldiers start, you know, getting really riled up going, yeah, rah, you know, and, and there was a translator, you know, speaking the language and everything. And, and, and the, the pastors just keeps teaching me, wow, they're really into my sermon. Um, and, um, and then he, he, he says something about, I forget what the scripture was that he was using, but about the dead dogs and stuff. And so by the end, the guys are like, yeah, they're holding up their AK-47s. And, and they're all getting excited because what, what this pastor didn't realize is those guys, they called their enemies dead dogs. And he thought, they thought it was a sermon to go and kill your enemies and stuff. Um, kind of missed the point of this. Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of tricky. But, um, but the, the, what Jesus is talking about here is, is um, don't waste your time giving valuable stuff to dogs and hogs. The hogs is a little more easy for us to understand because we, 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 we know there's a derogatory sense of the pig or the hog. Although uh, most of us don't have any problem with it when we make it into bacon. Um, but, uh, but the hogs is the same negative connotation. Um, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 22, Peter says, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow, the pig that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. 
By the way, did you know what the two cleanest animals in biology are? The pig and the snake. Did you know that? Snakes are extremely clean. Uh, the way their skins work and the way it sheds and repels dirt and slime and grew, you're all like, oh, they're slimy. They're the cleanest animal out there. But pigs, when you wash them, as it turns out, they, they say that pigs clean up really good. Like when you wash them, they're like the cleanest animal in the world. The problem is they go right back to the pig slop and wallow around in the mud. Um, and that's the problem. Uh, and that's, what, that's what's talked about here. When, when the Lord uses the dogs and hogs illustration, it's, it's like this, the dog returning to its vomit. That's a gross thing. It's something you don't wanna do. Um, sin is gross is the idea. And, and, and sinners are gonna receive what you're trying to do as something, you're, you're giving something valuable. They're just gonna wallow in the mud with it. They don't care about the, the, the gem that you're giving. Don't cast your pearl before the, the swine. You don't throw pearls and put it on a, on a pig because they'll just roll in the mud and it's just not, not worth your time. Um, and um, does this mean don't share things with the Lord, from the Lord with unsaved people? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means if they've already heard the gospel and they know it and they've rejected it over and over again and, and then they're just bashing and bashing and bashing, there's a point where you're supposed to say, I'm not gonna throw my pearls to the swine. Um, and uh, you know, it's interesting, you, you know, I don't know where I think this happens more than just about any other place, social media. I see all these Christian people and sweet-hearted people trying desperately to defend the scriptures uh, with all the social media trolls. And there's people out there that are just professional. They go around trying to frustrate Christians and write things that make them mad and get a rise out of these, you know, and they just go on and on. And I can't believe how many Christians just take the bait. I want you guys to remember this scripture. Verse six, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again to, to hurt you. That's their whole objective. And there's a point where you have to say, you know what, I'm kind of done talking to this person. And by the way, I, um, if you ever look at my social media, you'll never really see me. Uh, there's a few times where I've, I've you know, wasn't able to resist making a little comment here or there. But even after that, I realized what a mistake. It's like the internet social media thing is not a great place to, to handle truth. Um, I'd say that the whole social media thing is generally the pig pen. And you gotta be really careful. A lot of you are desperately trying to, you know. Now, now I gotta say this, some of you do have a gift with that and you're able to do some really good work on social media. Don't get me wrong, That's, there's a place for that. The person I'm talking about is this sweet little Christian lady who's just trying to see that this guy was saying about something, something. And, and, and it's, it's always worded in a way that'll it'll, you know, draw you in and get you into the argument and then that person will just let it rip. And they'll Google, you know, atheist.com and start cutting and pasting right into the, the, the thread. And it's just ridiculous. It's a total waste of time. Nobody's getting saved. Nobody's life's being changed. Only uh, your, your pearls are being trampled on. Uh, beware of the dogs and hogs. That's what Jesus is saying. Um, so um, all that to say, be careful of this. Now, um, by the way, when it comes to this topic, um, you know, we, we, have to, we have to realize that there, there's a point where you don't deal with people. You render them dogs and hogs. And I'll just say, there is a point where a person in the church becomes that. You try to speak truth to them, but they will not receive it. And you're, you're supposed to deal with that. There's church disciplines the Bible gives us. 
Um, and there's times where even, like check out this verse. This is 1 Corinthians 5, 5. If there's this person that's unwilling to do what the, the church leadership is asking of them, there's a point where you, verse five of 1 Corinthians chapter five, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. There are times when a person is just unwilling to listen or do even the most basic things. And, and there's been times where Athey Creek, we've had to tell people, you are no longer welcome here in this church. If there's just a continual behavior of just, just hurting people or doing the, doing the wrong thing over and over again, and you're saying, yeah, whatever, I don't care what you guys have to say, uh, I'm gonna continue to abuse my wife, or I'm just gonna continue to be this or that, or I'm gonna continue. There's a point where the church leadership has to pray through this, and, and we don't take this lightly. We don't just go and you know, deliver anyone to Satan. We, well, this is only done, done this a few times in our history, but every time it was warranted and was careful, carefully prayed through. But there's a time where you have to kind of weigh out, when do I just let someone go? Um, one of the hardest ones is with your own children. Is there a point where your kids, that you've been coddling them or trying to help them or letting them live in the house long enough to where you've said, uh, I, I know that I probably shouldn't be doing this, but what am I gonna do, throw them out on the street? Um, there are times, hard as a decision as it might make for some of you parents, but that could be the very thing that's holding them back from actually doing well, is to just, you gotta let them go and do their thing. And it's heartbreaking for a parent. It's heartbreaking for a pastor to have to do that. But the goal is that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. There needs to be a destroying of the flesh. I might say it this way, you gotta destroy a person's will, not their spirit. You want their spirit to be saved, uh, but their will has to be crushed. And if you just let them keep going, playing video games in your basement at 35, and mooching off you and not having a job and you just keep letting them do that, um, you, there's a point where you have to say, you know what, Junior, you, if you don't have a job and if you don't do this, then you're out. Good luck finding a place to live. I know that's hard, but there's a time where you gotta, you gotta uh, try to help them even like the prodigal son. Boy, we could talk about that. We're running out of time, but Luke chapter 15, you know, he's the guy who had to go and he was sort of delivered unto Satan. The father let him go. Okay, go, where'd he go? The pig slop. He ends up in the pig pen, in the pig slop with nothing. And that eventually got to a place where it destroyed his will to go sin. And finally he returned and was repentant. Um, sometimes people have to realize sin stinks and it hurts. Um, sometimes people are just unwilling to change. I think the rich young ruler is another example of that. Um, Proverbs uh, is interesting because the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, is um, substantiated throughout the entire Bible. And the reason I say that is because here's Jesus's big sermon, but you can, you can prove the sermon everywhere else in the Bible, it's so great. Um, and the reason we know that too is because in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus. Um, that's the thing. So I love it. But like, here's a, here's a proverb, and this, this is from the ESV version. I like this. It's a little easier to understand. Whosoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. This is, this is lining up with Jesus talking about, are you gonna spend time rebuking a scorner or a scoffer? Um, you know, so be careful where you're arguing Christianity with trolls on the internet or, or in the colleges and universities. If people are willing to talk 
and have a communication, great. But man, that's becoming rare, by the way. Uh, as Christians, it's hard to have conversations with anyone anymore. Be careful, don't just throw your pearls to the swine. Um, we're seeing all kinds of crazy stuff on social media. Watch out for uh, you know, the Facebook um, you know, metaverse. Uh, you're not talking to real people. Uh, these are people with faces that they wanna have a certain character. By the way, did you see the BBC article? Um, uh, metaverse allows kids into virtual strip clubs. Uh, if you don't think the metaverse is like uh, unsafe for your children, you probably need to do some research. Um, this was in February. Hopefully they've fixed that since then. Um, they also, there's another article you can look up, uh, BBC uh, or Technology Review, I think, <clears throat> where metaverse is, has a groping problem already. Uh, what, how does it groping take place on uh, metaverse? Well, they figured it out. Uh, you know, it's funny how technology can be fun and <clears throat> even beneficial. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's neat that the church, we can use online technology and live stream services and all that, but, <clears throat> but be careful with all the other stuff that's on the internet. Uh, don't get stuck in, in all this stuff. It's, it's, it's worldly and a lot of it's so godless. People waste their time. Would Paul have sat around on Instagram all day arguing with trolls? <laughs> I don't think so. Paul went around looking for the unsaved people who wanted to hear the good news of the gospel. Um, and he didn't sit around messing with the Pharisees and the people that wanted to kill him and hated him. He found people that were open to hearing the gospel. Um, verse seven, we're almost done. We'll quit here in a minute. Verse seven, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. <clears throat> For everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If, he then being, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Here's where the Bible tells us to ask of the Lord um, and again, this is where I think this is funny stuff. Jesus is being humorous. Um, it's funny, when, when you want some bread, here's a stone, Kunk. you know, bon appetit, son. Um, none of us would do that. It's a ridiculous thing. And, and Jesus is using this kind of um, exaggerative <coughs> uh, analogy to point out how, <coughs> how much more will a loving father give to us, his kids, the things that we ask. And I think that's important. Uh, by the way, um, you know, these illustrations Jesus uses, a lot of them are very universal, but some of them I do wonder about, you know, um, when a kid asks for bread, you know, um, that's something in Bible times that meant different things than it does today. <laughs> I found this just traveling around the world, speaking to people in Africa. James, Pastor James and I were in Africa once and we were constantly trying to think of illustrations we could use when we were teaching African pastors. And he'd heard a lot of these pastors talking about, you know, when they'd go out into the bush and hunt and stuff. And that's, it was, and that's very different culture there. When they're hunting, they're literally looking for dinner for that food that night. Um, we're out in the middle of nowhere teaching. And James gave this illustration. I forget what the point was, but it was awesome. James said, there's this hunter in our church and um, good friend of ours. And there was a, oh, hunter, yeah, yeah. Like, like you can see the African guys were connecting, uh, hunter. And uh, he, he hunts, um, in Oregon, we have um, animals that are very much like a gazelle here in Africa. And like, oh, a gazelle. Um, and a lot of these guys like literally hunt with a spear. I'm not kidding. 
but where this guy has a, he, he likes to hunt gazelles. But at this time, this is quite a few years ago, this, this guy in our church, he talked about hunting and he was always doing hunting, but he had never gotten a deer. And so, and James said that, he said, guys, he's a hunter, but he never was able to get a deer. And the guys roared with laughter. They thought that was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. And then James says, but he recently accidentally got a deer. And they're like, oh, how did he do that? Well, he was driving in his car down the, fruit, the road <laughs> and he hit the deer and he killed the deer. And the, the guys just, we, service was over. The guys were rolling on the ground laughing that the only way this guy could kill a deer is with his car, you know, running him over. Um, but but uh, the funny thing is, like, you know, we tell that story like, yeah, some guy wanted to hunt, couldn't get a deer, he rode around and rode a deer with a car. Like, that's the stuff that happens here. But it means something different. It meant so much different to them. But, but in some ways, these illustrations Jesus uses, um, I think that one of the things we miss here is a little bit of the humor in the culture about the serpent and, this, uh, you know, and, and, and about the rock and the stone and all this. But the main point is, you know, an evil father will give bread to his son. God wants to give us so much more and provide for us. And one thing you need to know too is when it says ask and seek and knock, um, that's, that's present active and it's, it's continual. The idea is you could almost say, um, keep on asking and it shall be given. Keep seeking, keep knocking. Um, that's one of the things we miss in the English translation. And that it means don't give up, just keep asking. And, um, and that's why, you know, the Bible tells us, you know, scriptures like we talked about last Sunday, be careful or anxious about nothing, but everything in prayer. That's asking with supplication. That's asking with thanksgiving, letting your request be made unto God and the peace of God, which passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Rapid fire, James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. Do you need wisdom? Man, ask. And the Lord says, I'll do it. I'll give it to you liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given to him. Isaiah, the prophet said in Isaiah 26, nine, with my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. In Psalm 65, two, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. The Bible is full of reminders that prayer is important. God hears prayers, opens doors that no man can shut. He hears our prayers and he answers our questions and he opens doors if you knock and if you seek and if you ask. So if we believed this, we would do more asking and seeking and knocking if you ask me. I think we would have done that. But all that to say, um, one more verse and then we'll pack it up for the night. Verse 12, therefore, and when the word's therefore there, what do you have to ask? what it's there for. Um, so therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is Jesus boiling the law and the prophets down to something. And, and it's basically the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, as puts in other, other passages of scripture, but it's the same thing. Um, what you would want men to do to you, do that to them. That's what Jesus says. Um, now, by the way, um, I remember when President Obama came on the scene and he always was quoting the Bible and stuff. And it was always really embarrassing because um, he was really bad at it. Or his staff, his writers, uh, they were really bad at it. But one of the things he said, as all great faiths say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, as it turns out, none of the other faiths say that. Um, others say, cut their hand off on their right foot and their left hand. 
when they've offended you or you've gone the wrong direction. Like, like it's funny, Krishna, uh, which is a major deity in Hinduism, he said in the negative, don't do unto others the things you don't want them to do to you. Um, all in the negative. Uh, the Tanakh uh, d- did it in the negative as well. Uh, but, but Jesus is the original one who said this, and it's really a Christian notion. Um, you can't really find that in other religions, even though uh, Obama claimed that it was an all faiths notion. It's definitely not a Muslim notion, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, um, especially if you're talking about jihad. Um, but anyway, um, you know, all this to say, action behind the heart towards loving others. Uh, like we learned last week, the alms and the giving of alms, another word for mercy, this is what we should be. We should be merciful, kind to others. And all the law and the prophets uh, will hang on that single truth. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Great, great stuff. We'll, do, we'll cover that more as we keep going in the gospels. Verses 13 and 14 is gonna deal with the all-inclusiveness or religious relativism that is uh, rampant. And I don't wanna rush through that as we'll get into that next week. Let's pray together. And so Lord, tonight, um, these verses are so powerful and, and almost too great to even feel like we've even scratched the surface this evening. But how thankful we are, Lord, that um, we can look to your scriptures and be reminded of these truths. And Lord, I pray that we would be careful about being judge, judgmental, judging to condemnation. Um, but Lord, teach us the right kind of judgment of using good judgment and that of identification and, and even separation, separating out the things we shouldn't be a part of. <clears throat> Give us wisdom in this, Lord. Help us not to be relativistic when it comes to our own sins. <clears throat> when we have a big beam in our own eye, Lord, um, help us to know how to deal with that, to confess our sin and to have you pull our sins off from out from our eye, Lord, and, and that we'd be able to walk, walk in liberty. Uh, Lord, may there be good fruit from this time in your word tonight. Help us to retain these scriptures in our hearts, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.